Book Five, Chapter Six of the Wars of the Jews. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. The Wars of the Jews by Josephus, translated by William Whiston. Chapter Six, concerning the tyrants Simon and John. How also, as Titus was going round the wall of this city, Nicanor was wounded by a dart, which accidentally provoked Titus to press on the siege. 1. Now the warlike men that were in the city, and the multitude of the seditious that were with Simon, were ten thousand, besides the Idumeans. Those ten thousand had fifty commanders, over whom this Simon was supreme. The Idumeans that paid him homage were five thousand, and had eight commanders, among whom those of greatest fame were Jacob, the son of Sosus, and Simon, the son of Cathlas. Jotra, who had seized upon the temple, had six thousand armed men under twenty commanders. The zealots also that had come over to him, and left off their opposition, were two thousand four hundred, and had the same commander that they had formerly. Eleazar, together with Simon, the son of Arenas, now, while these factions fought one against another, the people were their prey on both sides, as we have said already, and that part of the people who would not join them in their wicked practices were plundered by both factions. Simon held the upper city, and the great wall as far as Kedron, and as much of the old wall as bent from Siloam to the east, and which went down to the palace of Monobazus, who was king of the Adiabeni, beyond Euphrates. He also held that fountain, and the Acre, which was no other than the lower city. He also held all that reached to the palace of Queen Helena, the mother of Monobazus. But John held the temple, and the parts thereto adjoining, for a great way, as also Ophla, and the valley called the Valley of Sedron. And when the parts that were interposed between their possessions were burnt by them, they left a space wherein they might fight with each other. For this internal sedition did not cease even when the Romans were encamped near their very wall. But although they had grown wiser at the first onset the Romans made upon them, this lasted but a while, for they returned to their former madness, and separated one from another, and fought it out, and did everything that the besiegers could desire them to do. For they never suffered anything that was worse from the Romans than they made each other suffer nor was there any misery endured by the city after these men's actions that could be esteemed new. But it was most of all unhappy before it was overthrown, while those that took it did a greater kindness, for I venture to affirm that the sedition destroyed the city, and the Romans destroyed the sedition, which it was a much harder thing to do than to destroy the walls, so that we may justly ascribe our misfortunes to our own people, and the just vengeance taken on them to the Romans as to which matter let every one determine by the actions on both sides. 2. Now, when affairs within the city were in this posture, Titus went round the city on the outside with some chosen horsemen, and looked about for a proper place where he might make an impression upon the walls. But as he was in doubt where he could possibly make an attack on any side, for the place was no way accessible where the valleys were, and on the other side the first wall appeared too strong to be shaken by the engines, he thereupon thought it best to make his assault upon the monument of John the High Priest, for there it was that the first fortification was lower, and the second was not joined to it, 
the builders neglecting to build strong where the new city was not much inhabited. Here also was an easy passage to the third wall, through which he thought to take the upper part of the city, and through the tower of Antonia, the temple itself. But at this time, as he was going round about the city, one of his friends, whose name was Nicanor, was wounded with a dart on his left shoulder, as he approached, together with Josephus, too near the wall, and attempted to discourse to those that were upon the wall about terms of peace, for he was a person known by them. On this account it was that Caesar, as soon as he knew their vehemence, that they would not hear even such as approached them to persuade them to what tended to their own preservation, was provoked to press on the siege. He also at the same time gave his soldiers leave to set the suburbs on fire, and ordered that they should bring timber together and raise banks against the city. And when he had parted his army into three parts, in order to set about those works, he placed those that shot darts and the arches in the midst of the banks that were then raising, before whom he placed those engines that threw javelins and darts and stones, that he might prevent the enemy from sallying out upon their works, and might hinder those that were upon the wall from being able to obstruct them. So the trees were now cut down immediately, and the suburbs left naked. But now, while the timber was carrying to raise the banks, and the whole army was earnestly engaged in their works, the Jews were not, however, quiet. And it happened that the people of Jerusalem, who had hitherto plundered and murdered, were now of good courage, and supposed they should have a breathing time, while the others were very busy in opposing their enemies without the city, and that they should now be avenged on those that had been the authors of their miseries, in case the Romans did but get the victory. 3. However, John stayed behind, out of his fear of Simon, even while his own men were earnest in making a sally upon their enemies without. Yet did not Simon lie still, for he lay near the place of the siege. He brought his engines of war, and disposed of them at due distances upon the wall, both those which they took from Cestius formerly, and those which they got when they seized the garrison that lay in the tower Antonia. But though they had these engines in their possession, they had so little skill in using them, that they were in great measure useless to them. But a few there were who had been taught by deserters how to use them, which they did use, though after an awkward manner. So they cast stones and arrows at those that were making the banks. They also ran out upon them by companies, and fought with them. Now those that were at work covered themselves with hurdles spread over their banks, and their engines were opposed to them when they made their excursions. The engines, that all the legions had ready prepared for them, were admirably contrived, but still more extraordinary ones belonged to the tenth legion. Those that threw darts and those that threw stones were more forcible and larger than the rest, by which they not only repelled the excursions of the Jews, but drove those away that were upon the walls also. Now the stones that were cast were of the weight of a talent, and were carried two furlongs and further. The blow they gave was no way to be sustained, not only by those that stood first in the way, but by those that were beyond them for a great space. As for the Jews, they at first watched the coming of the stone, for it was of a white colour, and could therefore not only be perceived by the great noise it made, but could be seen also before it came by its brightness. Accordingly, the watchman that sat upon the towers gave them notice when the engine was let go, and the stone came from it, and cried aloud in their own country language, the stone cometh. So those that were in its way stood off, and threw themselves down upon the ground. 
by which means, and by their thus guarding themselves, the stone fell down and did them no harm. Footnote. What should be the meaning of this signal or watchword, when the watchman saw a stone coming from the engine, the stone cometh, or what mistake there is in the reading, I cannot tell. The manuscripts, both Greek and Latin, all agree in this reading, and I cannot approve of any groundless conjectural alteration of the text from row to lop, that not the stone or a stone, but that the arrow or dart cometh, as hath been made by Dr. Hudson, and not corrected by Haverkamp. Had Josephus written even his first edition of these books of the war in pure Hebrew, or had the Jews then used the pure Hebrew at Jerusalem, the Hebrew word for a son is so like that for a stone, ben and eben, that such a correction might have been more easily admitted. But Josephus wrote his former edition for the use of the Jews beyond Euphrates, and so in the Chaldee language, as he did this second edition in the Greek language, and bar was the Chaldee word for son, instead of the Hebrew ben, and was used not only in Chaldea, etc., but in Judea also, as the New Testament informs us. Dio lets us know that the very Romans at Rome pronounced the name of Simon the son of Jora bar Porus for bar Gioras, as we learn from Zipheline. Reland takes notice that many will here look for a mystery, as though the meaning were, that the Son of God came now to take vengeance on the sins of the Jewish nation, which is indeed the truth of the fact. But hardly what the Jews could now mean, unless possibly, by way of derision of Christ's threatening so often made, that he would come at the head of the Roman army for their destruction. But even this interpretation has but a very small degree of probability. If I were to make an emendation by mere conjecture, I would read instead of, though the likeness be not so great as in low, because that is the word used by Josephus just before, as has already been noted on this very occasion, while an arrow or dart is only a poetical word, and never used by Josephus elsewhere, and is indeed no way suitable for the occasion, this engine not throwing arrows or darts, but great stones at this time. End footnote. But the Romans contrived how to prevent that by, by blacking the stone, who then could aim at them with success, when the stone was not discerned beforehand, as it had been till then, and so they destroyed many of them at one blow. Yet did not the Jews, under all this distress, permit the Romans to raise their banks in quiet, but they shrewdly and boldly exerted themselves, and repelled them both by night and by day. 4. And now, upon the finishing the Roman works, the workmen measured the distance there was from the wall, and this by lead, and a line, which they threw to it from their banks, for they could not measure it any otherwise, because the Jews would shoot at them if they came to measure it themselves. And when they found that the engines could reach the wall, they brought them thither. Then did Titus set his engines at proper distances, so much nearer to the wall, that the Jews might not be able to repel them, and gave orders they should go to work. And when thereupon a prodigious noise echoed round about from three places, and that on the sudden there was a great noise made by the citizens that were within the city, and no less a terror fell upon the seditious themselves, whereupon both sorts, seeing the common danger they were in, contrived to make a like defence. So those of different factions cried out one to another, that they acted entirely as in concert with their enemies, 
whereas they ought, however, notwithstanding God did not grant them a lasting concord in their present circumstances, to lay aside their enmities one against another, and to unite together against the Romans. Accordingly, Simon gave those that came from the temple leave, by proclamation, to go upon the wall. John also himself, though he could not believe Simon was in earnest, gave them the same leave. So on both sides they laid aside their hatred and their peculiar quarrels, and formed themselves into one body. They then ran round the walls, and having a vast number of torches with them, they threw them at the machines, and shot darts perpetually upon those that impelled those engines which battered the wall. Nay, the bolder sort leaped out by troops upon the hurdles that covered the machines, and pulled them to pieces, and fell upon those that belonged to them, and beat them, not so much by any skill they had, as principally by the boldness of their attacks. However, Titus himself still sent assistance to those that were the hardest set, and placed both horsemen and archers on the several sides of the engines, and thereby beat off those that brought the fire to them. He also thereby repelled those that shot stones or darts from the towers, and then set the engines to work in good earnest. Yet did not the wall yield to these blows, excepting where the battering ram of the fifteenth legion moved the corner of a tower, while the wall itself continued unhurt. For the wall was not presently in the same danger with the tower, which was extant far above it, nor could the fall of that part of the tower easily break down any part of the wall itself together with it. 5. And now the Jews intermitted their sallies for a while. But when they observed the Romans dispersed all abroad at their works, and in their several camps, for they thought the Jews had retired out of weariness and fear, they all at once made a sally at the tower Hippicus, through an obscure gate, and at the same time brought fire to burn the works, and went boldly up to the Romans, and to their very fortifications themselves, where, at the cry they made, those that were near them came presently to their assistance, and those farther off came running after them, and here the boldness of the Jews was too hard for the good order of the Romans, and as they beat those whom they first fell upon, so they pressed upon those that were now gotten together. So this fight about the machines was very hot, while the one side tried hard to set them on fire, and the other side to prevent it. On both sides there was a confused cry made, and many of those in the forefront of the battle were slain. However, the Jews were now too hard for the Romans, by the furious assaults they made like madmen, and the fire caught hold of the works, and both all those works and the engines themselves had been in danger of being burnt, had not many of these select soldiers that came from Alexandria opposed themselves to prevent it, and had they not behaved themselves with greater courage than they themselves supposed they could have done, for they outdid those in this fight that had greater reputation than themselves before. This was the state of things till Caesar took the stoutest of his horsemen and attacked the enemy, while he himself slew twelve of those that were in the forefront of the Jews, which death of these men, when the rest of the multitude saw, they gave way, and he pursued them, and drove them all into the city, and saved the works from the fire. Now it happened at this fight that a certain Jew was taken alive, who by Titus's order was crucified before the wall, to see whether the rest of them would be affrighted and abate of their obstinacy. But after the Jews were retired, John, who was the commander of the Idumeans, and was talking to a certain soldier of his acquaintance before the wall, was wounded by a dart shot at him by an Arabian, and died immediately, giving the greatest lamentation to the Jews, and sorrow to the seditious. For he was a man of great eminence, both for his actions and his conduct also. End of Book 5, 
Chapter 6